Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. thank everyone for their positive feedback as we've been in this series called Unafraid. And today's the last message in this installment of Unafraid as we talk about being unafraid of the unseen. You know, sometimes we're afraid of the things that we do see that really uh, touch a button, touch a nerve, and really cause us to become anxious and to worry about our present situation or maybe even what the future could possibly bring. When we become unsettled and are unstable, or sometimes when we feel that our safety has been threatened, we become afraid. I think one of the things that we all try to do is to be stable, to have security. We all try in some way or not to make our lives as predictable as possible. We complain about routines, but let's be honest, we need them. There's something about them that brings a peace and a calm when things are ordered in our very chaotic world. When we bring order to our chaos, we feel a certain sense of accomplishment. But when our lives are chaotic, it feels like no matter how orderly things are around us, well, it doesn't matter, does it? It feels like those things are unimportant because things in our life are not right. And when things in our life are not right, we feel afraid. And it's easy for God to tell us to live a life that is unafraid and easy for us to read scriptures or to hear talks like mine and that encourage us to live a life that is unafraid, but it's another thing in being able to do so. In the moments in which we are tested, in the moments in which we are faced with a decision to either be afraid or live unafraid, we sometimes, without realizing it, just revert to our default position. And our default position is being afraid. Building faith takes work. It takes commitment. It takes from each of us a renewed decision that every time we are faced with the reality of being afraid, it is in that moment that we must cry out in return I will be a person of faith instead. You see, it can't come from somewhere else. It won't come from anyone else. It won't even sometimes come from within you. It'll have to be something that you force out of you. Not because it isn't there, but because it won't always emerge naturally. And what we sometimes want is for it to emerge naturally. We want it to just be there when we need it. And so to call it up, to bring it up, to make it real, to make it active, to take that moment and to say, I will be unafraid, requires sometimes all the energy that you already feel you do not have to call it up, to muster it up, to bring it out, and to make it from the unseen to the seen. I think you've been there. 
think you've been there when the opposite has happened, when you've just given in and stayed afraid. But you've also experienced what it felt like when you pushed through and your faith rose up and you were no longer afraid and you put your trust in God instead, in someone and something greater than you, your strength, or even the circumstances in which you were in. I played a lot of sports growing up and I loved playing them. It's just one of the things that just helped me to cope with being a kid and being at work with my dad. My dad uh, was someone who uh, required us to work with him all the time and, and the way I got away from that was just throwing myself into sports and, and uh, sometimes I would just look for things to join up uh, even if I wasn't uh, even if I've never played that sport before, I would just like want to play it just so that I wouldn't have to go home and work. So one time uh, we got into playing intramural hockey. I was asked to join a, a grade 10 um, intramural hockey uh, squad and, and we were making our way to uh, the championship, it seemed like. We actually had put together a very good team and, and we were winning. And we went up against a grade 11 team, which was a lot better than us. And somehow, we don't know how, but we were winning. And, um, and they began to, to bully everybody on the team. Like they were much bigger, older, stronger, and they were just forcing us uh, into submission. And, and at a certain point, I saw what was happening, and I just, I don't know how, but mustered enough strength to just go after someone and, and just, you know, pushed back and fought back and then just to, to, to kind of stop what was happening. And, um, and then I don't know, I heard myself foolishly say at the end of that inter interaction, uh, and, and I'll meet you after school and I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> I don't know why I said those words. I, I regretted them the moment they came out of my mouth. But after school, that's, that's what happened. Everybody was now expecting a fight. And, and as you know, it is in high school, when someone says there's a fight, you know what happens, right? Everybody says there's a fight, there's a fight, there's a fight. And the next thing you know, it's not just like the people who were in the gym. There's hundreds of people there. Hundreds. Like just, I went to a really big high school. It's like 2,000 kids. So I'm not saying there was 2,000 kids there, but it looked like there was 2,000 kids and the teachers. They were all there. It was crazy. They all showed up. And, and, and here I was now having to fight. And, and, and I, I, you know, I had been in fights before, but I don't know, I felt like this was going to be different. And I knew that the only way that I was going to get out of this was, was to not be afraid. And, and there I was in, in this circle, um, about to have a fight that I didn't really want to have, but for a hockey game that really wasn't that important. It wasn't like this was like a real league. It was a high school league. It was intramural. It was supposed to be for fun and exercise. And here we were fighting. And in that moment, I, I knew that I, what I had to do was just throw the first punch. I just knew it instinctively. I knew it. I just had to do it. I had to be the one who hit first. And I don't know what happened, but I, but I hit him so hard that it just stunned him. And and, and then I, I, I hit him again and again and, and, and again. And the next thing you know, the fight was over. And everybody was cheering and, and I, I felt so amazing. 
And I thought this was like one of the greatest moments of my life. Not only did we win, did we win the hockey game, but I defended my team and I got into a fight with, uh, with an older guy. And, and, and here I was just in grade 10, I beat up a grade 11. Like, like that's it, I'm an icon. <laughs> I'll never be forgotten for this. Uh, until the next day when, um, where this guy had friends at another high school and they all decided to show up the next day and they're all wearing their leather jackets. And they all happened to be a part of the football team. And they all showed up and they skipped school, so they came early to make sure that I saw them. And then they told me that they were gonna come and get me at lunchtime. So I went back to my hockey team, I said, guys, hey, remember when I defended you? <laughs> and I defended the honor of the ace of spades that was the name of our team. And, and I'm like, and, and, and how you won that game, and I won that fight, remember that? And they were like, yeah, that was a great moment, but yeah, we're not gonna help you. <laughs> Those guys are huge, I don't know what you were thinking. We're not gonna, we're not gonna get involved in this. And, and, and sure enough, like, they, they backed out on me. So then I said, oh my God, like, what am I gonna do now? Like, I'm, these guys are all huge. So I had, to, I had to think, like, really fast on my feet, and so I went to, um, to this guy named Louie who was like, you know, six foot three and said, Louie, listen, all I need you to do is at lunchtime, just walk over to me, put your hand on me. And when these guys are, and in near shot of these guys, just say, is everything okay? That's it. <laughs> I go, I know you don't want to fight because he had already told me that, so, but just do this for me. And I went up to another guy and I said, Virgil, um, Virgil, another, you know, friend of mine, and he was like, a, a, a great friend, and I said, Virgil, I know you don't fight, I know you don't want to fight, but can you just do the same thing? And I went over to, to like three or four guys that did this. And, and as I sat at the cafeteria acting all cool, like nothing was gonna happen, that these guys couldn't touch me, I had my friends one at a time, the biggest guys in the school just walk over and say, is everything okay? <laughs> and, and then those guys looked at that, they got up and they left. It just worked, it worked. By the way, every single one of them said, Renzo, we're friends, we love you, but we will not fight for you. <laughs> so they really weren't my friends, but you know what I mean? Like, they were friends to a point, but they were not gonna get into a fight for me. And it was the right thing. I had gotten myself into this, and it wasn't, it wasn't their problem. But they all walked out. I never had to fight them. What, what happened that day is they saw something that actually wasn't there. They envisioned something that was gonna happen that actually wasn't gonna take place. But it was enough to put fear in them that they believed that that was the reality. And they walked away. I'm gonna tell you a story that's found in 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings chapter 15, in chapter six, verse 15, it says this, that when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, there were horses, there were chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? And the young man cried to Elisha, who was the prophet of God, and, and he was a servant, but also uh, his apprentice. Let's call him his apprentice. And his apprentice was the one who saw this. And then it tells us in verse 16, that Elisha says to this to him, I don't want you to be afraid because there are more on our side than on theirs. There are more on our side than on theirs. But that's not what he saw. 
And the funny thing is, is that, well, he wasn't wrong because there was nothing actually that was visible. There was nothing that could have been seen with the human eye. It required a spiritual sight that the apprentice didn't have. So I want us to think of ourselves as apprentices in the room. All of us are apprentices, and Jesus is the guide, and he's, he's the master. He's, he's the, the one that we are sitting under and trying to become like. And so as his disciples, we are trying to live our life the way that he wants us to. And so what Elisha does in this moment is that he turns to his apprentice and he tells him, don't be afraid. And I believe that Jesus does the exact same thing, except we don't always have ears to hear him, just like we always might be lacking some vision in being able to see him as being greater than whatever the enemy is that is before us. And so for us to be able to make this shift, we have to be able to see ourselves as that apprentice who needs to be told, don't be afraid. So I want you to think of something that is bringing up some fear into your life right now. Something that is really affecting you. Uh, maybe you're unstable in your health, maybe unstable, or you're feeling insecure in your relationship. Maybe it's not having a relationship. Maybe you're not feeling very secure in your job. Maybe it's something else that is troubling you. Maybe it's that your career isn't working out. Maybe it's that your career has worked out, but it's not what you're really passionate about. Maybe it isn't that your life isn't moving along. It's that there are other things in your life that keep upending it, that make you feel like it can bring everything else down. And there are many things that can cause fear. I can't mention them all. Obviously, I don't know what's in your mind and in your heart, but you do. And when you think it and when you speak it, you're not giving strength to the enemy. You're just taking notice of what it is that you need God to intervene in. And so what area of your life is it that you need God to intervene in? Think of that moment. Think of that thing, think of that place in your life, and then let's take a look at the next verse. In verse 17, it says that Elisha prayed, and he says, O Lord, open the apprentice's eyes and let him see. And what happened? Well, the Lord opened his eyes, and he looked up, and when he looks up, he sees that the hillside around Elisha is filled with horses and chariots of fire. And what I love about this verse is that the horses and chariots of fire, ridden by angels, in other versions it says, aren't surrounding the enemy, they are surrounding Elisha. Man, so many times in life, we just feel alone. We feel like we're going through it alone. We feel like there's nobody there for us. There's no one there coming to help us. There's no one who's going to join us in the fight. There's no one who's going to come to our rescue. 
and we have to fabricate a way out. We have to, we have to BS our way through it so that we can survive that moment, survive that, that day, just so that we can get to live one more day without getting the crap beaten out of us. Just like I did. There's nothing real about the moment I fabricated, but it was enough of a deception that it worked. I want you to know that you don't have to go through life believing that you have to fake your way through it. That you have to falsely make everyone believe around you that you are stronger than you actually are because God has already surrounded you with his angels on Harley Davidson's with flames on the side. <laughs> right? The full chrome package, come on. And just think about that. I mean, bringing it to today's understanding, right? Probably, if we were living in Calgary, I would have stuck to the horses, maybe. But right here, think about how it would feel if you were about to go into something and these guys just showed up in motorcycles and just surrounded you and said, to get to him, you're going to have to get through us. What do you think would happen? It probably would turn the enemy away, wouldn't it? Now imagine if you lived with that understanding in your mind and in your heart every day. Imagine if you lived your faith knowing that this is the reality. But what we need is for our eyes to be open so that we can live unafraid. So here's what I understand. These stories in the Bible are there to help me understand how to live unafraid. Not because I will never be afraid, but how I can now begin to live unafraid. And, and just like it took someone to pray for the apprentice's eyes to be opened, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to pray that all of our eyes would be opened so that we would see how we have been surrounded by the protection of the Almighty God. And that we do not have to be afraid of that which is seen or be afraid of that which we don't see, which is unseen, but instead move in faith, knowing that we are surrounded, we are protected, we are always, always under the watchful eye of God. I don't want you to believe the lie of the enemy. I don't want you to believe the lie of your enemy. I don't want you to believe the lie of any strength that is manifested against you that looks more powerful than you. Because when that happens, all you have to say is that the army that surrounds me is greater than the army that I face. Can you say amen to that? The army that surrounds you is greater than the army that you are facing. And in this moment, as we stand before God, we can pray for that. We can ask God for that. 
That's why this verse is so powerful, because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it's one of those key verses that I would encourage you to just memorize. And it tells us that you belong to God and that you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The victory is already won. The spirit that is in you is greater than anything that is in the world because the spirit of God is the one that rests in you. See, you're surrounded. You're protected. You're powerful. Do not live afraid. You live with faith instead. In the book of Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 15, we discover something that is revealed to us through the Apostle Paul, something that we may not have realized. But when Jesus was dying on the cross, Satan really believed that he had won. And the Bible says as much that uh, he thought that he had had the victory because he didn't know God's plan. He didn't know God's plan. He didn't understand God's plan. He didn't understand that Jesus would rise from the dead. So that's why he kept trying to get everyone to kill Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, every time you see a crowd come around him to follow him, listen to his words, receive healing from him, be fed by him, and even to be inspired by him, or they're trying to kill him. And there were times when the devil was able to inspire the crowd to take his life and get someone to start it and to try to finish it. And there were times when Jesus would just walk through the crowds because he was able to do that and be untouched because his time had not yet come. His time was to die on the cross. So he wasn't going to be touched before he got to the cross. But Satan did everything possible to get him to die, including by possessing Judas. And the Bible tells us that, that there isn't many times that you see Satan directly influencing a life. He has fallen angels called demons doing that. But in this particular moment, we see that it is Satan himself who is not just tempting Jesus in the wilderness, but it is Satan himself who is tempting Judas. Judas gets all of his hatred, gets all of his rage. He gets all of his pride. He gets all of his murderous intent. And before Judas realizes it, an opening that he had created through money and his love for kingdom over his love for Jesus allowed Satan to come in. And 30 pieces of silver is all it would take to betray him so that he could set himself up for his retirement. The Bible says that the day would come when Judas would return the money back to those who had given it to him. And that he would be so overtaken by grief that he didn't see another way out, out of his betrayal, other than to take his own life. And so Judas commits suicide. But if Judas had repented, like all of us can, Jesus would have forgiven him too. Can we say amen to that? But in that moment, we see that Judas betrays Jesus and Satan does everything to get him to the cross. And Jesus is okay with that. 
That's why he doesn't speak during his trial. That's why he doesn't speak to the crowds who are calling out for someone else to be set free instead of him. That's why he doesn't say anything on the cross other than what was supposed to be fulfilled according to the scriptures. And all of this is done so that we would understand that even in the moment in which we feel that we are experiencing our greatest defeat, here's what we always need to do. That the day of resurrection is still yet to come. And so when it looks like the enemy has won, I want you to know that because of who we are, that the same is extended to us. It is made possible to us. That before things can live again, sometimes they have to die first. And so we are most afraid when we see things come to a place of death. But this is when we should be filled with faith. That's why Jesus kept telling his disciples, don't worry because on the third day I will rise again. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't perceive it. They couldn't understand it. And even though they had seen him beaten and then crucified and then laid to rest in a tomb, all they could focus on was his death. And then they hid in a room and were afraid. And I want you to think of how often that is us. That even though Jesus has told us that sometimes things have to die first before they can live again, and even though that's us, that we're going to see death before we see the power of the resurrection, we give up in those three days in between. And those three days can become three years like they can become 30. Like at times, if for people in the Bible, they were 15 years, 25 years, even 40 years between the time that they experienced the promise and then actually experienced the fulfillment of it. And sometimes we just don't realize that in that moment of death, in that moment in which God wants to bring things back to life, there are moments in between where every moment is a moment for us to believe that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That whatever the enemy has done, it cannot defeat us because we have defeated the enemy through Christ Jesus who has made us more than conquerors in him. We are victorious in him. The battle has already been won. And when we look at this passage in Colossians, if we can go back to it, it says that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And look at this. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You know what this verse is saying? I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine the spiritual realm finally opened up to our eyes. That which is unseen is now made seen. And, 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 and Jesus who died on the cross, Satan for a moment believes that he's won. He's super happy and all of his, his angels with him, all those demon, demonic spirits are celebrating with him. They did it. They defeated Jesus. God's plan failed. He will never, ever rescue humanity. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And the Bible says that in that moment, everyone who was a spiritual ruler and authority, that means all of Satan's demonic spirits are paraded through heaven in front of all the angels and God himself and Jesus resurrected, who now, risen from the dead, is revealing to everyone in the spiritual realm 
that the victory that Satan thought he had was snatched from him, and the victory is Jesus Christ alone. And the Bible says that he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Publicly. That means that Satan was paraded. The Atlanta Braves just won the World Series, and it's a funny video. It is the fastest parade ever witnessed. Usually the bus rolls at like literally five kilometers an hour. They were going 50. Because <laughs> of COVID, right? They're just driving through the ground. <laughs> just driving. People waving. Like, it's over, done. People can't even celebrate. They can see the van, they can see the bus, whatever. But it was just, it's just hilarious, you gotta see this video. But I want you to imagine Satan being paraded through heaven with all of his angels and publicly shamed. Come on, isn't that amazing? Did you know that was even in the Bible? Did you know that that was even possible? And it happened because God wants us to be unafraid. If Satan was shamed on that day, I want you to know that that shame continues to this day. Every day that you proclaim victory through Jesus because of the cross is a day where Satan is paraded once again publicly because he is defeated. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. God bless you. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, I want to thank you for every person here, for the power of your spirit, for the ability that you have to encourage us, inspire us, and to lead us forward in a life that is unafraid. Today we have learned how you have surrounded us, Father, that we are protected by you, we are favored by you, that there is no one out there and there's nothing out there that can hold anything to us, against us, when you are for us. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment, you who know what we are worried about, what we become anxious about, what we are afraid about, that, Lord, you would teach us to open our eyes, just like Elisha taught his apprentice, just like Elisha prayed even for his apprentice, Jesus, would you intercede and pray for each of us right now and have our eyes open so that we would see ourselves surrounded and protected regardless of the challenges, obstacles, regardless of the enemies that are before us. And so, Lord, I thank you that each person here today can experience the victory through Jesus and the victory that he had on the cross. He had it over sin, death, and Satan himself. He has no authority over their lives. I pray that you would cast out all darkness and that you would fill each of them with your light. And Lord, we thank you that even though we would be broken, today we can ask you to make us whole. That even though today we may not have enough faith, 
I pray that we would receive the faith from you to have eyes to see what you are ready to show each of us and the victory that is at hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.